Let's pray. Lord, please help us to understand this ancient prophecy that we might be strengthened to respond wholeheartedly to you. In your precious name. Amen. There are times in the history of Revelation where there are step changes in the way people understand relationship with God. And the days of Isaiah was one of those times. Um, Earlier on, when there used to be a lot of uh, human sacrifice, and particularly infant sacrifice, there was the step change where God called Abraham not to sacrifice his son, but substituted instead a goat. So animal sacrifice became the norm in Israel. That was a step change. And an elaborate setup of uh, rules around temple worship and sacrifice came into being, and that was the norm for a long time, hundreds of years. And then we get to this time, and there's a step change in the air. We might miss how provocative Isaiah is being. In the section just before the the words that Paul read, Isaiah actually says, unless the Lord of hosts had left a few survivors, we would be like Sodom, we would be like Gomorrah. Now you might remember, if you've been a student of the Bible, the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his wife, they were renowned for not just their bad uh, sexual behaviour, but actually their lack of hospitality was their really critical error. And uh, Lot was there with his wife and they fled and Lot's wife turned around and got turned into a pillar of salt. That's how the story goes. So they're kind of, these two towns are pinnacles of both disobedience to God and representatives of the judgement that comes upon that disobedience. So it's incredibly shocking that Isaiah should address the leaders of Judah and call them, O leaders of Sodom and leaders of Gomorrah. He's slapping them across the face with his words, effectively. This was very provocative. Isaiah wanted to be sure that the people noticed him, that they took account of what he was saying. He wasn't content to be tolerated. He wanted to be intolerable. He wanted to really get under their skin and provoke a response. He wanted them to react from the deepest places in their heart, or as the Hebrews would say, in their bowels. They wanted a a gut reaction. And interestingly, it's the same kind of idea the writer of the Hebrews in the New Testament says later on, let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. And that idea of getting under each other's skin so that we do love and good deeds. But here, Isaiah is trying to get under their skin that they might wake up to what's going on here. It seems that Isaiah's assessment of these people who were born as God's people, they were descendants of Abraham, so they were known themselves as God's people, his assessment of them was that they were not really God's people. Even though they did all the things that God's people were supposed to do with the 
the special sacrifices and the festivals and the temple worship and all that kind of stuff, somehow they're more like Sodom and more like Gomorrah than they are like Israel and Judah. And these guys were religiously faithful, so it wasn't that they were letting the side down with regard to their religious practice. They've just become so caught up with their religion that they're no longer seeing the people around them and the needs of the people around them. The most vulnerable are no longer being cared for. They're not getting a look in. All the religion is happening, but the community is falling apart. They're doing all the worship stuff, but they're not caring for the vulnerable people. They're lacking hospitality. They're actually becoming more like Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is no fool. Um, and, and there's such a folly often in the way we relate to God. We think that we can hoodwink God. If we just keep doing all the things that religion asks us to do, that maybe God won't notice that we don't care anymore about the most vulnerable. Would God be hoodwinked by that? It's a, it's a bizarre idea, but we, we tend to fall into it. We can think that uh, simply engaging in the rituals that we've been told to do, that God will think, yep, they're online. They, they go to the, the church every week, or they sing the songs, they offer their, their things, yep, everything's good. As if God doesn't see the way we behave the rest of the time. We miss the more weighty issues that shape the way we relate to each other and live in our communities. And that's actually the stuff that God's profoundly interested in. The worship and all that is important, but really only important to the extent that it changes the way we live and relate and look after people and care for people. So Isaiah gets quite heretical he says to the people, who asks you to come and trample my courts? Who told you to come and worship? Who told you to bring all these sacrifices? And of course the answer is, God did. It's in the, the Torah, it's in Exodus and it's in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's, it's all there. We're doing what we were told to do. That's the true answer. But Isaiah is so mystified that people can so miss the point, as it were. These people are being completely faithful to the law, almost feverishly faithful to the letter of the law, and yet they have completely missed the point of what God had given to them in the law. They are obeying the letter. That means that uh, what the law said for them to do, they did, but nothing more. And so they would come and they'd do their worship and they'd offer their sacrifices and they'd come to the festivals and all that kind of stuff. But actually the law was never about the law. The law was never given just so that we would obey law. It was always about the relationships. The law was there to guide the way people behaved with each other. That was the purpose of it. The law tells us the wisdom of the years 
um, that have been gleaned about the best way of managing the community. We have laws today about you know, not murdering or stealing and how you pay your taxes and all that sort of stuff. It's not just because we need some kind of rules so we'll just make some up. They're actually designed, well, theoretically, to help us live well together. It's not just about doing what the law says, it's about living well together. They're the guidelines, the the wisdom as it were. And so God's law is about maintaining a healthy relationship with God. The law is not the preeminent part. The relationship with God is the most important part. And God cannot be bought. God is not hoodwinked by our slavish devotion to the rules any more than any other relationship would consist of slavish devotion to rules. Joe and I, my wife Joe and I, have this experience every now and then when, for example, she's working through an issue and obviously struggling with something and somehow I manage, in my incredible sensitivity, to miss that that's going on. And uh, suddenly things get a little bit frostier than usual and so I tweak. Joe's telling me in some kind of gentle way that I've missed something really important in the relationship and I kind of go, oh, I've missed something, haven't I? I've responded poorly to something you've just told me. I really haven't heard the importance of it. This is all kind of as the panic goes on in my head. And I, I want to say to her, tell me the response you wanted that I might do it. In fact, I've had that conversation. I tell you it doesn't end well. Because she says to me, if I tell you, you'll just do it. But it doesn't mean you care anymore. You see the difference? She actually wants me to care. I'd like to care too. Sometimes I'm too caught up with myself. There's the confession. But God doesn't just want us to do the rules. He wants us to care from the deepest place of our being, to be interested in the things that are of value to the heart of God. It's not just about the law. Being obedient to rules or laws is never what it's about. That might be what it's about in some economic structures, but it's never what it's about in a relationship between two people. So the people have really missed the point. They're now trying to feign obedience to gain protection against things they feel as a threat. A lot of people do religion that way. The prophets, particularly Isaiah, would say, God's not interested in that. In fact, God says, come, come now. Let's sit down and work this out together. What a beautiful thing to say. Where in any other religion or faith structure or belief about God you get a God that says, okay, we got it all wrong before, but come, let's sit down, let's get honest and work it out together. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Even though you've missed the point up to now, even though your sins be like scarlet, let's just say there's white as snow. Let's leave that behind. Don't worry about it anymore. Let's sit down and talk about what's most important. There is such a desire in the heart of God for meaningful 
connection and Isaiah makes it clear that despite whatever has gone before, and this is true for us, whatever has gone before, don't let that stop you. Set it aside. God's not interested in that. God wants to sit down together and reason together. This is, in a sense, the clearest expression of the grace that comes to its even, well, it's a clear expression of a, a grace that comes to an even clearer expression in Jesus' death on the cross. Whatever has gone before, whatever the problem, God's love is there for us. Um, some people think that God becomes more gracious in the New Testament. I, I say no. It's all there in the earliest history of God's people when we, when we see it. And you see, the thing about this is that relationship with God is its own reward. We don't have a relationship with God in order to get something else out of it. That would be a little bit like marrying somebody for their money. Like, yeah, you're all right, but I want to marry you so that I can get your cash. You know? We, we know that's kind of not what it's about. Except sometimes we relate to God on that way. We, we want to have a relationship with God so that we can feel safe or get into heaven or you know, get the blessing that's going to do X, Y or Z for us. But relationship with God is in fact its own reward. We relate to God because God is so profoundly good, so worthy of our devotion. He's a character that is the best character to know. God in fact is love, John would tell us later on. What we see in God is so valuable, we want to draw near to God. God is God's own reward. And in a sense, the rejection of God is its own judgment. It's not that God's going to come after us and whack us over the back of the head for getting it wrong and abandoning God. No, in a sense, if we decide not to follow that which is so good, there is a judgment in that decision. No other judgment needs to be falling upon us. If our decision is to abandon what is genuinely good, what is genuine love, and that's what, you know, that's what God is, then our, that's an expression of being self-absorbed, disconnecting from the community, getting caught up with ourselves, and in that there is a judgment you will never find the fulfilment you seek when you get caught up with yourself. That's what happens. There is no life, no salvation when we are caught up with ourselves. When we get caught up with self, we are perpetually unfulfilled. The rejection of God is its own lostness, its own judgment in that sense. So the fact that people are named as God's people by themselves or by others seems to be immaterial to Isaiah. He says to the leaders of God's people, you leaders of Sodom, you leaders of Gomorrah, because it's really the values we express that reveal who we think is worthy, which is what worship is. It's the values we live that tell people who we worship, not whether we come to the temple or offer sacrifices. It's the values we live. It's foolish to believe that God can be manipulated 
by our words or our actions or our religious activity. We kind of know that's foolish, but we still do it a lot of the time. But Isaiah is saying, God's not fooled. The religious stuff, it's, it's God's not fooled by it. However, God does show us what is eternally valuable and invites us, even calls us, to participate in those things that are eternally good, eternally valuable, always worth doing. And in the end, to not do them is its own rejection. Participation in God's kingdom is its own reward. It's not a means to an end. It's the destination. And so when we worship, we say, thank you God that we are here. That was quick, eh? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the depth of your love for us. Thank you that you didn't simply give us a bunch of rules to follow as if that were anything. But you gave us guidelines to call us into life And when we started to use those in a way that was unhelpful, you call us beyond those into life. And you keep calling us, showing us the preeminent example of self-giving love in the person of Jesus who comes and dies on a cross and rises again and still bids us to come. We thank you for your amazing grace and all the good things that come from responding to you. In your precious name. Amen.